0: Man, turn around and say hello to somebody. Good to see you out tonight. God bless you. Once again, glad to be in the house of the Lord. And once again, praying for folks in other places and other situations. I want you to be in prayer for the sick. Just found out a few moments ago that our friend Larry Harrison, who was in the hospital, uh, first in Crown Point in Indiana, then in Chicago at Loyola, uh, had surgery for a blood clot near the heart. And uh, do not know anything further. Uh, that was shared with me by Brother McSpadden up in Indiana. But we pray for Brother Larry Harrison. You out there online are familiar with uh, Evangelist Larry Harrison. who goes from place to place. He's known as the book man. And he said to me, oh, three or four days ago, he said, Brad, I don't think I'll ever go back on the road again. But uh, pray for Larry Harrison as he recuperates from that blood clot removal from the heart. And then also many others, some have come through surgeries, others have experienced some amazing things. I have been in touch with no fewer than five of our people that we know and several churches down in the uh, very uh, front of the storm as it's entering Florida's shores. And they say in Fort Myers there were sharks swimming in the streets and uh, uh, the tide got sucked out and then blown back in and it's just a dangerous place to be and all those that are glad that you're not in the storm say amen, amen. But all those that will pray for those who are say amen, amen. We want to pray for our brothers and our sisters. Now we have good weather. It's just turned last week from what was kind of an a Indian summer into a little bit of a fall and we're experiencing autumn weather and before you know it, We'll have time change again until Congress changes that but we'll have time change again back to whatever it was before and it's going to get cold and you're going to have to get all of your delicate plants inside and all of you folks that have become homesteaders and growers of things that grow green and so forth. You're going to have to cover it because the freeze is coming and all the rest of us are going to have to try to remember where the hose nozzle is on the outside of the house so we can cover it from the freeze and uh, insulated. You know how it is when we have the change of weather, but we have great blessings in Northern Virginia because we have all the seasons represented and it's a nice change from one to the next, but it's always good to stay warm and dry though. So anyway, now we're going to move over into something else very quickly. Don't forget that this week we begin our missions conference. The month of October begins on Saturday And uh, on Saturday, we will have uh, cleaning at 9, visitation at 10, and we'll be set up for a missions emphasis. want to invite people out, all the Sunday school bus kids, everybody in the membership, all through the directory, get on the phone, invite them. And we want to get visitors out, regulars back. Uh, All through the month, we're going to have missionary-themed preaching and special features, don't miss it. And uh, we're going to have an opportunity to review our stewardship and that is our giving by faith uh, to faith promise missions. That's how we support all those missionaries out there, by giving over and above. And God bless you. You've done it uh, for the whole 20 plus years that we've been here. We've, we've seen the, the giving and the numbers of uh, folks participating and uh, numbers being supported increased. Praise the Lord for that. We were singing about Return the Springtime. We were reviewing the verse about revival in uh, 2 Chronicles. I want to help you to find this. If you've got a Bible from off the back of the uh, bench in front of you, I'm going to give you the page that you need to turn to here. And I'm going to explain to you what this means. So that every time you come to church, I want you to learn something. Now before we got saved, look this way. Before we got saved, there was a part of us that was not fully alive. And when we got saved, it was made fully alive. And that part of us is the spirit that's regenerated, that's made alive when God's spirit comes into us. So prior to that, we were were human. We have a body and we have a soul. But our spirit was not active until God made us spiritually alive. You've been taught this. You know it's true from many scriptures. And so we would say a person was brought to life. But then from time to time, there, there is the possibility for believers, there is the possibility for those who have been saved to backslide and to become carnal, that is fleshly in their behavior. And they act and think and talk like a person that never got saved in the first place. Now, God never stopped keeping us, but we, we, you know, we act like we don't even know the Lord when we get backslidden and cold, and we need that revival, that renewal. 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14 is found on page 502. Page 502 in your Bible from the back of the of the bench in front of you. There it says, if my people, now this is an Old Testament reference, but the New Testament application is. We're His people, we're His peculiar people, we're His chosen people by faith in Jesus Christ. We're all sons and daughters of Abraham, spiritually speaking. So if my people, which are called by my name, Jesus Christ, people are known as Christians, little Christs, which are called by my name shall humble themselves. That means we see ourselves as we are, not not as we suppose ourselves to be, but as we truly are. God is the only God, we're not God. And uh, we, see, we see Him in His place and uh, we see ourselves in our own, own place. Shall humble themselves and pray. That means speaking to God from the heart. And seek my face. That is desire God's blessing on our life to do what He wants. Turn from their wicked ways. That's re- that's, that is what we call repentance. Then will I hear from heaven. God's going to hear us by choice. Because He knows everything already. But He's going to choose to hear us in the sense that a ruler would, would grant an audience. So he grants an audience and will forgive their sin. Now, this is the problem between us and the Lord. As believers, we get back into sin doing our own thing and we'll heal their land. God's going to bless us as a people and our nation. He's going to bless our, uh, our lives, make us prosperous and so forth when we meet his terms. And that's, that's a verse that can apply to every venue of our life. Now, we have been Talking about those areas of our life, instead of like the springtime, it's like the dry, arid desert, you know, fruitless and all dried up. And that's the way people start uh, thinking and feeling when uh, they're not right with God. All right, the thing that I want to make application to is this first institution that uh, God established back in the book of Genesis. Go back to the very beginning of the Bible. First book is Genesis, which means beginnings. And if we go to Genesis and uh, we go to chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2, it says in verse 20, "And Adam, this first man, gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field, but for Adam there was not found an help meet for him. In other words, he didn't have a life's partner. Verse 21, and the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof and the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. Now look here, this is spiritually what happens when two people become one in the Lord when they are married and that is God brings the woman to the man, All right, and then And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. In the presence of God and witnesses, uh, a minister of the gospel can solemnize the vows. Now, that's important. Remember, vows. What makes makes it a marriage is not just the physical union of the coming together of man and woman. What makes it a marriage is the holy vows that are made in the presence of of God and witnesses. And that's what we do. We solemnize those vows. We have prayer and the two become one. Here we have the vow, the earliest vow. Adam said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And then we have this. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife. So there's leaving and cleaving. That doesn't mean you hate your former connections. It just means there's a new allegiance Everybody understand that? still love your mom and dad. But your allegiance is now to the one to whom you are legally and spiritually and correctly married. And uh, they shall be one flesh. Think about that. There it is. Alright, so there and then over in Ephesians we have the same thing reiterated also in Colossians. Uh, the, the various aspects of what we understand to be what God has established. God established the home. His first institution. I received a missionary letter. We get probably, oh, I don't know, uh, four or five dozen a month from our missionaries. And uh, we get some every month and we get some every quarter. But we hear from our missionaries around the world. And we have some missionaries over in uh, uh, the Native American uh, reservation area in Oklahoma and that we have this, God bless our home. It says in Proverbs 3:33, The curse of the Lord is in the house of the wicked, but he blesseth the habitation of the just. And what the missionary is saying, we are living in uncertain times. Uh, I was reading uh, this week about the ten plagues that fell on Egypt. God sent Moses to deliver the children of Israel out of captivity and slavery. So they're there living in the midst of and right next to Egypt, yet every one of the plagues were stayed or stopped. At the border. So what it's saying is this that the blessing of God is not necessarily geographic, but it is spiritual. It's upon those who will meet God's conditions. And I agree with that. And God can bless you even if your neighbor or your relative finds uh, himself or themselves under the judgment of God. You can still be right with God. How many of you believe that? Say amen. I want to be one of those that's right with God. I have in my hands a wonderful document. It is the completed dissertation of uh, Brother Tyler Candy that he completed for his four-year undergraduate bachelor's diploma here in our Bible Institute. Just completed that uh, this past year. And his dissertation, uh, based on 2 Timothy 3, is entitled A Perfect, Thruly Furnished Family. And uh, that's going to be shared with you in the future. I'm not going to let the cat out of the bag, so to speak, but I want you to know how proud I am of Tyler and of, of all of my Timothy's protégés, those that are coming up under the ministry. Praise the Lord. But this is a wonderful, wonderful dissertation, and you'll get to sharing that in the future. You say, I want to now. Just hold your breath. It's going to be later because I said so. All right. But they had problems in Bible times, and we have problems in Bible times in the area of the first institution, which is the family. God has a wonderful plan for us. He really does. But we need to remember that our help cometh from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Can I get an amen on that? That's straight out of the Bible. My help cometh from the Lord, you know. Some look unto the hills. And the hills in the Bible, the mountains, represent governments. It was... President Ronald Reagan, who said, We fear the government may be powerful enough to destroy our families. We know that it is not powerful enough to replace them. Amen to that, President Reagan. I would say, wow. And, uh, you know, I miss him. I miss him like I miss my grandfather. He gave everybody a sense of security when he was there in the White House. You may not have agreed with all of his policies. Nobody agrees with anybody's everything. But uh, uh, he just had a sense about him. That, that made you feel like things were under control. And we know it's really it's God who makes us feel that way. But uh, tonight, our comments on Bring Back the Springtime have to do with this thing called the home. They had problems in Corinth. Uh, one of their problems, in addition to the other ones that are listed, was they, they, had the, they had abuse and neglect of the home and the family, failure in the marriage relationship, And we have a lot of that today as well. In fact, uh, if you were scheduled to fly, uh, where are some places that if you got on a plane you would fly? Where's Puerto Rico, right? Puerto Rico, okay. If you were to fly somewhere, where would it be? Down Central America? Yeah, okay. If you were to fly someplace, where would you fly? Hawaii, Hawaii. okay. If you were to fly somewhere, where would you fly? New New Hampshire, okay. All right. And all of you got a place where you'd fly if you could fly, right? Right? Okay? So I'd fly away, oh glory. Amen. Fly to glory. But uh, if you knew that there were two planes flying to your destination and you knew for a fact that one of them was going to crash eventually, would you get on the plane? No. And yet that's what we face in America with marriage today. The failure of marriages has surpassed 50%. And sometimes it's, it's more frequent than that, some folks that have had more than one failure. Um, It was James Dobson who wrote this, it was a number of years ago, family instability affects everyone, especially the children. The most vulnerable victims of family instability are the children who are too young to understand what has happened to their parents. That tragic impact on the next generation was graphically illustrated to me in a recent conversation with uh, with a sixth grade teacher in an upper middle class California city. She was shocked to see the results of a creative writing task assigned to her students. They were asked to complete a sentence that began with the words, I wish. Now, the teacher expected the boys and girls to express wishes for bicycles, dogs, TV sets, trips to Hawaii. All right. 20 of the 30 children made a reference in their responses to their own disintegrating families. What a terrible shame. A few of their actual responses were as follows. I wish my parents wouldn't fight. I wish my father would come back. I wish my mother didn't have a boyfriend. I wish I could get straight A's so my father would love me. Oh, that one breaks my heart. I wish I, wish I had one mom and one dad so the kids wouldn't make fun of me. I have three moms and three dads and they, bo- and they botch up my life. I wish I had an M1 rifle. Look at this. So I could shoot those who make fun of me. Wow. Isn't that terrible? That, those are things that were actually written because of the breakdown of the home. It happened back in Corinth. And it's happening in the United States of America. And I'm not going to spend all my time uh, as uh, G.L. Wynn used to talk about. He says, I don't want to be a photographer of, of mud holes, you know. I, I want to tell you about the positive. And I want to tell you about the positive things. But let's read about the problem that was there uh, in Corinth. And so I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles tonight to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. This is going to be our actual text. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. For those of you who are having difficulty finding it, it's uh, on page 1189. That's 1189. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to begin at verse number 1. Alright. It says, Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me. So they, they asked the Apostle Paul about relationships, about human relationships, about men and women. And he says, after this colon, he says, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. What he's saying is uh, just because you haven't felt the pressure to get into a man and woman relationship doesn't mean that you're weird or abnormal. Even though technically every man and every woman could have a spouse, I mean, that's pretty much the way it breaks down. Don't think it's weird or strange because it's it's okay if you don't have a man or a woman in your life as a woman or man and, uh, and you, it's not necessary that you have somebody uh, that you have an intimate relationship with. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. That was not the case in Corinth. There was a lot of uh, infidelity and fornication, sexual sin going on. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. This is saying that it's not wrong for married people to have intimacy and, uh, and to, to, uh, to have that freely offered and given. The wife hath not power over her own body, but the husband. And likewise also the husband hath not power over his own body, but the wife. Now this runs contrary to To what a lot of people believe, but when there is a loving, a spiritual marriage, then this is not a problem. Defraud. Now that's the word that's used for people who withhold intimacy uh, unnecessarily. Defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent for a time that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. So if there's a spiritual need to have time away from each other, then then that uh, that, uh, cessation of intimacy is certainly permitted. And come together again that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. Here the word incontinency is used about a, a lack of intimacy. So what Paul is saying is if if people are, are not uh, in their loving intimate uh, marriages, there's going to be a temptation for them to be unfaithful. And that's what we're speaking about tonight. But I speak this by permission and not of commandment. For I Would that all men were even as I I myself. Now he is at this point not married. But every man hath his proper gift of God, one after this manner and another after that. So some people can be single and some people uh, need somebody in their life and so they ought to be married. That's exactly what this passage of Scripture is speaking about and talking about the practical aspects of marriage which include intimacy in a normal marriage. And I thank God just to give a personal testimony here, I thank God for 52 plus wonderful years of marriage with my sweetie. And, uh, and I can say right now, I'm very, very thankful that God has given us uh, grace to be faithful to one another. There's not been unfaithfulness in our marriage. And uh, I, I know having counseled so many people that uh, that is a rarity nowadays. And I know that There there probably aren't too many people who have been unfaithful that are proud of it. And most people at some moment of seriousness and sobriety after the fact would say they have great remorse or regret for being unfaithful. I would say faithfulness is God's perfect will. But let me tell you what God has also granted. If you've messed up, there's forgiveness. There's forgiveness with God and there's forgiveness with your spouse by the grace of God. And praise the Lord for that. There, there ought to be. And it ought to be, it, it ought to be right to begin with, but if it's not, it ought to be made right, and then it ought to be treated like the, the, the sin then faithfulness never happened. That's the way it ought to be. Why have a relationship in which there are grudges being held or when there uh, are old accounts that are not settled? I can't think of anything worse. But uh, praise God for the faithfulness that God has granted us uh, these 52-plus years. Look forward to another 52, sweetie. All right, amen. <laughs> amen. And tonight I'm speaking on the subject faithfulness in marriage. Faithfulness in marriage. I want to exhort everybody. I want to encourage everybody. I know that I'm speaking to people in all different categories. I'm speaking to people that are married, people that are unmarried, people people that are divorced, people divorced and remarried, people divorced remarried, divorced remarried. I understand those things Exist. I understand there will be people listening who are uh, underage. They're minors and they've, they've not yet experienced any of these things. But you will. I preach on these subjects because they're biblical. And it's right. And God's people should not be ashamed of the truth. So I'm speaking to those in each and every category that I've mentioned tonight. Uh, Corinth was a cesspool of immorality. We don't, we don't have to celebrate that. And the way you want to start to not celebrate that is to extol the positive role models and turn off the stinking television and, and don't just pipe the junk into your living room or into your family room. Uh, say, well, that's what goes on, but it's not something that you have to, to take in. Uh, that would be the time to turn it off, disconnect it, or, or if you've got a, if it's a DVD, pitch it and, and not put up with that stuff because sin... Is nothing to be tolerated. It's nothing to be thought lightly of. Sin is a destroyer. Thank God that we've got a Savior who is a restorer. Amen. And we're on the winning side. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, fill me now with the Spirit. Help me as I speak on this important subject tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. All around them, they had temptation, they were tested and tried. And the Corinthians were flunking the test. I wonder what kind of grade we would get. If God's given the grades, what kind of grade would He give us for faithfulness? I know that marriage is based on God blessing all the factors coming together that are right factors. And if those factors include two saved people that are on equal spiritual standing, coming together in the perfect will of God, having prayed about it, taken enough time, Having, having courted properly, done, done it God's way. Not man's way, but God's way. And then, and then getting married according to uh, the pres- prescription of, of the Scripture and letting God lead them in their choices and decisions. Their happiness, their joy is going to be established in the truth. It's not going to be established in the circumstances of life. And so many people we see... They're only happy when things are up. But when things are down, they're not happy. Because their feeling good is dependent upon how things are going. And you and I have no control over that. We try to make things happen. And we find out that that we're not even God over our own life. We need need God, who is God, to be in control. We need to focus on Him. When things are up or things are down, when there's gain or loss, when there are difficulties or challenges or, or an easy, pleasurable experience... Regardless of what it is, we stay focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. We know every good and perfect gift comes from God. We know it comes from Him. Well, we made certain vows, didn't we, sweetheart? We've kept those vows. God has enabled us to keep those vows. Praise the Lord. And not everyone has. But we go back and we seek forgiveness when that is the case, and we move on. It says over in Ecclesiastes, let's go there first in the Old Testament. Ecclesiastes. Help you to find that in the Old Testament. It's in the books of poetry. This one written by Solomon, King Solomon, when he was an old man. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. It's on page 715, 715. And it says. In verse number 1, "...keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God, and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they consider not that they do evil. Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven, and thou upon the earth. Therefore let thy words be few." Be careful about what you're swearing to, okay? And then verse 4, "...when thou vowest to vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools." Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better it is that thou shouldest not vow, than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin, neither say thou before the angel that it was an error. Wherefore should God be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of thine hands? All right, so we understand that vows are not made to be broken. Promises are made to be kept. And God will give us the grace to do that. Uh, Let's go over to 2 Corinthians 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and chapter number 12, 2 Corinthians 12. This is on page 1208, 1208 in your pew Bible. And it says in uh, chapter number 12 of 2 Corinthians, uh, verse number 9, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ uh, may rest upon me. The Lord gives us the ability to keep our vows, to keep our promises, and to avoid temptation. Uh, I'm going to be back in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. That's on page 1192. Page 1192. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, where it says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer or allow you to be tempted. Above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. So there it is. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. We're going to be using this in connection with our teaching uh, of Genesis, part 2 four and the next session will be october the 8th tune in absolutely free college level advanced level teaching in the life of joseph you can trust your king james bible to be true and joseph is the patriarch of character and wouldn't it be wonderful if we were known as the church members or the local church baptists of character we need to be people of character. It is better for us to avoid sin by God's prescription than it is for us to have to confess our sins. Now, 1 John 1:9 says, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Look at me. That means that there is not anything, not anything that God won't forgive us for if we come to Him sincerely and repent and we say, Lord, please forgive me and cleanse me and help me. God will forgive us. God will help us. And you say, well, you know, i got to live up to it. I mean, we just, we're pretty bad at living up to anything. It's by His grace that we live up to it, but certainly we accept forgiveness and we go, we, we run to Him. We keep short accounts. Amen. Short accounts in the area of our purity, in the area of our faithfulness, in the area of our marriages, our testimony, even the appearance of evil. Because we're all put together the same way. It's very easy for us to appear to be compromisers in this, in this uh, area. So there you have it. Alright. Now we know that our chief end, the chief end of man, as, as we learned as children, is to glorify God and, and enjoy Him forever. God wants, us, God wants us to have a smile on our face, but He doesn't want us to, to be sinful he wants us to have uh, controls and borders and walls and uh, limits and boundaries in our life to, as, so as to glorify Him. Our first goal is to glorify Him. So there you have it. And uh, Martin Luther, founder of a church that bears his name, the Lutheran denomination, said this, Let the wife make her husband glad to come home All right? Amen. And let him make her sorry to see him leave. I like that. There should be, you know, husbands and wives, this sounds really, really revolutionary. But may I share this with you? I think it'd be a great thing if husbands and wives got along. And outside of the Lord Jesus, your spouse ought to be your best friend. Come on, amen. Amen. And let's work on that. we got God's grace. His grace is sufficient. We look to Him. He provides what we need to escape temptation. Amen. George Sweeting uh, provides three guidelines for Christian marriage. Why don't you take some notes tonight? This would be good. But even before that, Charles Swindoll says a family is a place where principles are hammered and honed on the anvil of everyday living. What what uh, Charles Swindoll is saying, Dr. Swindoll, Chuck Swindoll we call him, uh, is that everything that we're talking about in the home is practical. It's down to earth. Now some of you were not raised in good Christian homes. And you don't have a memory growing up seeing a loving father providing, caring, a loving, caring mother, uh, the husband and wife that were over your home uh, loving and caring for the children, and and children growing up and seeing the blueprint for success. I happen to have that kind of role model in my life. Mom and dad. That's the way they were. Your mom and dad were that way. Loving, caring, Christian. And they gave us a model of that. But not all of you have that. So some of you, some of the folks out here and some of the folks out there, now are looking to, to folks like these old folks, I'm, I'm going to include myself, because you need some role models. We are not setting ourselves on a pedestal and saying we're perfect, but we are loving husband and wife, loving parents over our children, loving grandparents over our grandkids. We, we try, by the grace of God, to follow the Bible in every venue of life. We don't succeed, but when we fail, we confess our sins And we, by the grace of God, try to do right the first time. And so that's the kind of role model everybody needs. Numerous times. I can't tell you the number of times people have come to me. Some of my Timothys have come to me and said, Preacher, will you be my dad figure? Will you be my dad? And it makes me want to cry, but yes, I will be. I'll be your dad figure. Now, I'm going to let you down. I'll let you know that right now. Not on purpose. Not because I want to. But one thing we're always going to be is transparent, honest, and open with each other. And uh, no games. I'm not going to play any games. And that's what we hope. And that's how we hope to accomplish the role of of mentor in the life of the protege. Here's what George Sweeting says. Three guidelines for Christian marriage. Write these down. First of all, and foundational to a biblical understanding of marriage is the truth that marriage is a permanent relationship. Put it down. A permanent relationship. In Mark 10, chapter 10 and verses 6 and 7, he's talking about from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. Let's turn there. Mark chapter 10. and This is his quote from... Mark chapter 10. So, I want to make sure we've got it right here. Good old King James Bible. Mark chapter 10 and verse number 6 and 7, page 1043, But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. So this is a quotation that uh, Mark, quoting... The Lord, uh, who is quoting from uh, Genesis, all right. So that's it. We we read what God has joined together. Let not man put asunder. So it's permanent. Number two, number two, uh, foundational principle here, biblical guideline is that marriage is a harmonious partnership. That's what I was talking about, getting along. The Bible speaks of the union of the husband and wife as harmonious. Jesus said, they twain, those two shall be one flesh. So then no more twain, but one flesh. I've never known of a broken marriage where the husband and wife had enjoyed a true partnership that had been harmonious and mutually sacrificial. But God established marriage to be just that. And His Word gives guidelines about how to keep harmony in the home. That means getting along. Amen. Amen. But there's a truth that's even greater than the truths that marriage is permanent and harmonious. And that's the biblical teaching that marriage is a spiritual companionship. A spiritual companionship. It should be a companionship where each helps the other to grow in Christ. Sweetie, speaking to my wife now for those of you that are off camera. Or on camera, let's put it that way. All right. It's your desire to help me become all I'm supposed to be. You need to work on that, you know. <laughs> and it's my desire to do the same, to help you. The Bible tells us that in the marriage relationship, the husband and wife become one. It is my conviction that that speaks not only of a physical union, but of a spiritual union as well. So we're working together. If ever you longed for someone, and you had a desire a crush on somebody. You had desire for someone. It might have been a a strong desire. What should have been at the root of that is a spiritual desire, one for the other, both for each other, so that it really truly might be a spiritual union and not simply a physical union. Um, We have today going on all around us families breaking up and this You say, what a tragedy. Actually, the tragedy occurred before the marriage, or the the divorce, the disillusion was final. The tragedy occurred much earlier on. Tragedy occurred earlier on because there wasn't this cohesiveness moving the same direction. we got the same Savior, the same Lord, the same book of principles. We have the same desires. It's, It's not like we're seeking to find some pastime, you know, Uh, Maybe it's uh, physical fitness, or maybe it's artistic, or maybe it's uh, entertainment or something that we enjoy in common. And all those things can be in a marriage. But if you haven't got that spiritual cohesiveness, the rest of it's going to unravel. And there's either going to be a divorce, or divorce is plural, or there's going to be a Cold War. It's going to be frozen. And people will stay together, who knows for what reason. Sometimes for the kids, sometimes for the money, sometimes for appearances, who knows? Sometimes it's a political thing. And, and what a shame. What a shame. For every squabble, there is a spiritual resolution. And here's what it is. You listen, not interrupt. Both people speak their mind without getting emotionally invested in the discussion until it comes to a spiritual resolution. The Bible says this, and when you can't agree, you put the whole thing under the blood, you forget about it, and you go on. That is it. We have counseled hundreds and hundreds over the years, and we've told them you need a summit where you sit down and you have that kind of negotiation, and you zip your lip while the other one is speaking until they're done talking, and then you don't get mad with each other. You put the issue on the table between you, until it comes to a spiritual resolution, and if it doesn't come to resolution, then what you do is you put it under the blood of Jesus Christ, and you say, it's gone, that's it, and you move on. And there may be some things like that in your marriage that you never come to exact and perfect agreement on, but you do agree on the Lord, and you do agree on the priority of the marriage. The marriage is much more important than everybody agreeing on everything else. How dull would that be? All right, so there you go. And there are some things we may not ever agree on, but we will definitely agree on the Lord. And, that's, and the marriage is more important. Amen. Amen. It was Martin Luther again who tried to give a, a mental picture. Think of all the squabbles Adam and Eve must have had in the course of their 900 years. Eve would say, You ate the fruit. Adam would retort, You gave it to me. Yeah, there you go. Back and forth. There it is. Amen. All right. The marriage relationship is designed to glorify God, a secondary benefit is. That which we experience makes a wonderful atmosphere in which to grow old gracefully together. Raise the kids, see the grandkids, maybe even see the fourth generation, the great grandkids come along. And when you get to the end of the road and you look back, (laughs) you say, Jesus brought us all the way. Jesus made the rough places smooth. The high places he made even. The low places he brought up to level. Jesus brought us all the way. There it is. You don't have to lose your, your personal characteristics. You don't have to lose your personality. Your uniqueness. My my wife still has her native natural uh, likes and dislikes. I have mine. I, I, I've just learned that The blending of the threads of our life together into one tapestry is more important than being exclusive and being disconnected. You know, the guy or the gal that comes along and says, well, I've managed to stay single because I've seen all the tragedies around me. Well, that's a congratulations. And if that's what God wants, we'll pray for. And every every family and every couple ought to make room for singles to fellowship with them. And every church ought to have a place in which couples and singles can get along together and, and uh, have fellowship and a wonderful time. That, that's just part of being a family. That's understood. But if it's God's will to be married in the will of God, then it is the Word of God that has to be the basis of it. Back at Corinth, the problem was they decided to go adrift, do their own thing, get infected by the world. And it wasn't working. Aside from the fact that it's not God's will, it wasn't working. Practically, it was a disaster. Today, we're not in Corinth anymore. We're in the United States of America. But there's still a lot of folks adrift because they're trying to do it their way instead of God's way. I want to exhort you tonight to get back to God's way, get back to the book. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And tonight, if the Spirit of God spoke to your heart, uh, about anything in this message, would you slip your hand up with me? God spoke to my heart. Amen. Yes. Amen. I trust that as He's speaking to you, determine that you're going to have God's perfect will in your life and uh, be faithful. And uh, if it's forgiveness that God grants, then praise the Lord for that forgiveness. No doubt about it. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Pray right now from your heart to God. If you've never asked Jesus in, right now ask Him in. Something like this. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. Right now I want Him to come in my heart, take away my sins, take me to heaven when I die. If you prayed that prayer and meant it, won't you come and let us know on this invitation hymn?